it is not my job to be interested in you. It is your job to be interesting. And it sounds like an extraordinarily mean thing to say, but it's wonderfully honest. And it's also brutal for a business to hear. You know, just because you have a website doesn't mean anyone will look at it. And if you post content and it's not very good, nobody will watch it. And if you publish something that isn't very interesting, nobody will read it. Hello everyone, my name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, what if I told you that I could immediately capture your attention in 30 seconds or less. And then I could convert that attention into engagement so great that you would voluntarily spend an hour of your day, every day, consuming my product. And then add to that maybe another hour of your day talking about my product to your friends, family, co-workers, and on your online networks. And then, and this is the kicker, what if I told you that I could turn that engagement into action? to the tunes of millions of dollars in revenue in the space of just one week. And that I would do that by persuading you to spend your own money voting on the fate of a group of people that you both do not know and who are in a situation that does not impact your life in the slightest. And what if I could do all of that every week, week after week, in various different formats, on various different channels, to the tune of 8 billion interactions and counting? So here's the question. Is that a formula that you might be interested in knowing? And my answer to that is, uh uh-huh, big fat yes. Now I'm talking, of course, about reality television. Now before before you roll your eyes, and believe me, I get it, Gogglebox practically destroyed my soul. Let's, Let's just get real about the influence that reality TV actually wields. However you feel about it, love it, hate it. In the UK, more young people voted in the final of Britain's Got Talent than voted in the most recent general election. I'll give you a second with that one. As a content tool, it exists within and shapes more conversations than the news. And as a force, it literally redefined the concept of celebrity and the concept and shape of an entire generation of attention spans. And on that note, I arrive at somebody who can help us navigate everything that I have just said, and that is today's guest. Marion Farrelly created, built, and produced some of the most influential reality TV shows on the planet. I mean, I'm just going to reel them off here. X Factor, Big Brother, Celebrity Apprentice, Dancing with the Stars, The Farmer Wants a Wife, the, the list goes on. Her content... The brains behind the content has been watched more than 8 billion times worldwide. She's put more than 10,000 people on the stage who are then in turn watched by hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. She's worked with everyone from Hollywood A-listers to astronauts. don't know how those two come together, but I'm assuming it wasn't the same day. Politicians to pop stars, cybersecurity specialists to CEOs. And a place that she comes from is something that she recognized really early on in her career. And that is that the people who were world-class, 
the people who stood out, the people who were on those stages winning those competitions, they all had one thing in common. And she likes to call that the X factor. It's very fitting. Now, in today's conversation, we get into the X factor, what it is, what it looks like, how to harness it from the very first moment, whether in a pitch or in a video or walking onto the stage. She's casted over 12,000 people, so she knows more than pretty much anybody on the planet what that looks like the second it crosses her path. The formula for turning engagement into action, i.e. getting people to vote, either with their time, attention, with their feet, with their money. The power of sticky information, i.e. how to have the largest impact with the least possible words, which is a skill that I can promise you, whatever it is you do out there in the world, this skill you need. The ABCD of presenting yourself in the best possible way whenever you are required to step up. How to cut the white noise. I love this one. You know, like every industry has white noise, right? You look at the websites, you look to the LinkedIn profiles, you look at the emails, you'll see the same language over and over and over again. We need to be able to cut the white noise if we're going to stand out. The difference between hoping something's going to happen and making it happen. Every single person out there is trying to produce something. Now, it might not be a TV show. It might be a team. It might be a company. It might be a movement. We're all trying to get something to go from A to B in the most compelling way possible. So how do you stop hoping that will happen and start making it happen? And in what has to be possibly the most obvious yet insightful piece of advice in the history of this podcast, why the antidote to stage fright is one simple sentence. Okay, I'm going to give it to you. No one knows what you're going to say. And so therefore, you can't get it wrong. That sounds obvious, but believe me, it's worth spending some time on the next time you feel yourself being paralyzed by fear at the at the crux point. Now, I've known Maz for a little while. And honestly, other than being as brilliant as she is wholehearted, the reason I asked her on the show is is really pretty simple. I really believe that if you took everything she knows, everything that's in her head about the levers behind attention, influence and action and how to pull them, and then you injected it into a brand or a political party, it would utterly rewrite the playing field. Just, I mean, imagine, imagine an election campaign so compelling that you would pay to vote. Pretty hard, right? Or hopefully not so hard by the end of this episode. So turn on, tune in, put down the hashtags. No idea if that's a thing, but do it anyway. And enjoy my chat with the explosion of energy that is Marion Farrelly. Welcome to the podcast, Marion Farrelly. How are you, my darling? And please call me Maz, because only the tax people call me Marion Farrelly or my mother. I very nearly called you Han before before this. I should have just kicked off with, how you doing, Han? I know. I call everyone darling. Only because I used to run enormous teams of people and I couldn't remember everyone's name. So I thought very early on in my career, I'll just call everyone darling at work. Well, it's awesome. Awesome to have you on. I'm going to kick off. I know we know each other and it always feels strange, but I'm going to kick off with a question. Actually, I haven't asked anyone for a really long time, but for some reason with you, this felt like the most appropriate question because I was actually 
curious. Would you, do you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert? And very quickly, the reason I used to ask people at the beginning of the podcast, every single time this question, and it was because I felt like there was a real disconnect there with this myth that only extroverts can be influential and introverts should somehow be in the background and don't have the charisma to be able to pull off impact. And so with the amount of influence and impact you've had in your career, introvert or extrovert? You see, I think this is a very interesting question uh, because I teach people lots of branding and I teach people how to enter a room and own it. And one of the things that people say to me constantly is, but I'm not jazz hands. And I always say to them at no point in our conversation or our coaching, did I ever say, please be jazz hands? It's a really interesting thing. You think one of the most influential people in the world is, you know, the Dalai Lama. And he's so un-jazz hands. I mean, he's very friendly and charming, obviously. But, you know, you can be very quiet and considered and extraordinarily influential. So I think I think everyone is a mix of everything. I think we're a mix of good and evil. I think we're a mix of introvert and extrovert. I think that we're extraordinarily, beautifully, wonderfully complicated. And that's why I think I'm good at my job because I am very interested in people. So the content that you have created, the shows that you have created and run have had over 8 billion views now. Like eight. Do you have a moment with that number where it almost doesn't seem real or does, or do you feel like you earned every single view? Both really. The, I say to people, the number of viewers is in direct correlation with the amount of work that you put in. Every show that I ever made, you know, before it went to where someone would say to me, is this going to work? And I would say this to them, no one will have tried harder. And no one will have thought about it more than I have. I promise you. You know, I've thought about every single way of doing this. And I think we are doing this the right way. But you never know. And I did um, a show with Eddie McGuire's company. About a minute before it went to air, Eddie's saying, you know, man, you've done this a lot. Is it going to work? I said, I really don't know, Eddie. But, you know, I promise you, no one will have tried hard. And we've thought of everything we possibly could. And it was uh, his company's idea, this show. I said, but we'll find out in about 30 seconds. And I said, you know, the joy of Twitter is that we will know whether we have a hit or not in about 30 seconds. And 30 seconds later, people are going, wow, this is brutal. I'm going to tell my friends about this. You've got to watch this. This is amazing. The thing about content is everyone can make it, but it's hard to make it really well. You know, everyone can make content, but there is an extraordinary skill in making it uh, watchable. It's hard. What you trade in there, you just just thinking about that for a second, you know, to make content well or to make it to make it not so well. What you trade in is is pretty much the same that any business trades in and any politician trades in. And more and more, I think that, you know, business politics and show business are, are starting to merge in, you know, some really incredible ways from an engagement standpoint and some really quite disturbing ways. And that those commodities that you trade in are time and attention. For, like for every show that you built, it's time and attention. My two things yeah, in life are time and attention. I take them very seriously. You know, when I do talks, in at the beginning of a talk, I'll say, you are giving me your time. And I take that really seriously because you can have more money and you can have a larger house. You can be fatter, thinner, richer, poorer. But you can't have more time. So I'm going to use it very wisely for you. I look at time you know, very carefully. And when people give me attention, I say to people all the time, attention is transactional. I will pay 
attention. I would give you my attention. I have to give you something in return for that attention. It has to be, you know, a two-way transaction or it doesn't work. So what did you learn? Like, what are some of the, the things you learned really early on about that, the, the getting of attention? You just said, you know, we'll know in 30 seconds. In 30 seconds, we will know whether what we've just done is worthwhile or not. What did you learn about that first 30 seconds? What had to be in that first 30 seconds in terms of the initial stages of getting attention? If it isn't good in 30 seconds, you're gone and you will never come back and you will tell your friends it's not very good and they won't watch it. So in 30 seconds, I've got $20 million on that 30 seconds uh, and you have to grab attention. And it's the same in business. We pretend it isn't. So you're at a conference and you meet somebody and they say, what do you do? And you say something really dull and they'll say, I'm just going to get a coffee. Would you like one? I'll, I'll be right back. And then they come back because I have no interest. That's life. You know, if we're not interesting, people are not interested. I say this to everyone uh, all the time when I do talks and when I do training. It is not my job to be interested in you. It is your job to be interesting. And it sounds like an extraordinarily mean thing to say, but it's, it's wonderfully honest. And it's also brutal for a business to hear you know just because you have a website doesn't mean anyone will look at it and if you post content and it's not very good nobody will watch it and if you publish something that isn't very interesting nobody will read it what's your primary estate how are you coming out of the traps and engaging me i did some work recently with um some lawyers and this lady kind of oh you know i do this i do this and then um the sentence that we settled on was, uh, she said, so I am a very senior lawyer and my job is to keep very senior CEOs out of jail. You go, what a great description of your job. You're not going to, at that point, say to her, please don't tell me anything else, please. I just don't want to know anything else. You're going to say, what do you mean? How's that work? It's prime real estate and your prime real estate gets you business. You know, if it's not interesting, people aren't going to start a conversation. Well, it's breaking the, breaking the white noise. Yeah. It's taking people the break noise and doing the opposite. Yeah. We ban, uh, I ban with clients and uh, when I used to make TV shows, uh, statements that are the really obvious white noise statements. Can you just actually uh, just define white noise statements for me for a second? Because I think that that's, it's prevalent. You see it everywhere. You see it advertising. You see it in, in the way people describe what they do. You see it across marketing, branding, everywhere you look, business cards. So just, yeah. just define what it is. Uh, for me, it's statements that mean absolutely nothing because they've been used so often. And because one person says it, everyone says it. So I can't tell you how many companies I've worked with. And I'll say, you know, tell me about your brand. And they go, we're an authentic brand. I say, really? Give me three examples of you being really authentic. And they can't really. They go, well, you don't have to be authentic because everyone else says you can be something else if you want. It's fine. You know, not everybody has to be. Uh, people say, you know, I look at lots of LinkedIn. I do lots of uh, LinkedIn branding with people uh, and just uh, their storytelling. So they're memorable. And uh, I can't tell you how many people start with, I am a passionate, you know, marketing expert with 35 years experience working with the biggest brands in the world. Uh, and you think, okay, you and everybody, I'm a passionate dot, dot, dot with X years experience. doesn't mean you're actually good at it. It just means you've been doing it for a long time. So finding your story, 
Uh, telling me why you are different to everybody else, what your unique selling points are, why you're a safe pair of hands. All of these things make you uh, interesting and infinitely bookable. Uh, what are your problems? How am I going to solve them? You know, all those little questions that we have to ask ourselves as brands, as TV shows, as people, as educators, as trainers, as everything. There's the getting of attention, but then there's the converting of that attention into action, which I think is, you know, the whole reason we want attention in the first place is to try and create some kind of movement, some kind of action. One of the most incredible things you ever said to me about the work that you did was, you know, that it blew your mind regularly, that you were able to get people to watch people that they did not know doing something that did not impact them in the slightest for an outcome that had no relevancy in their world and then spend their own money to vote on the outcome. Yes. And you know, if you're in the park and you're shouting at your dog, you know, Rex, come back, Rex, come back, Rex, uh, your dog will pay no attention to you if there's something more interesting going on. However, if you're holding a stake, your dog will run back and it will produce you. It will look at you like, would you like me to split the atom? Would you like me to create the next electric car? What would you like me to do? Because you've got a stake and I'll do it for you. And your dog is there, little heads on the side and port. You want the port, you want to lie down, whatever you want, I can do it. Your children produce you. You know, mummy, if I clear my room, can I? And essentially, they are grabbing your attention and they're converting it into what they want. Uh, but they're making you think that there's something in it for you. And there is. You know, if I do this, will you do this? And that's essentially what uh, television is. And there is a formula, there are a number of formulas that I kind of uh, worked out along the way, which is one, uh, if you are entertaining in any way at all, so I don't mean entertaining like, you know, you're playing the trumpet or you're tap dancing at a conference, but if you're a storyteller and you are telling some, you know, some, you're saying something interesting, uh, you are being entertaining. And when you're entertaining, the people around you are engaged. So entertainment equals engagement. And when you're engaged, you can get people to take action. So when I train people, I'll say, I'll get you to the point of engagement. The action you take is the action that you want. I went to see the government about uh, this show, and it's about dementia. And at the end of the meeting, uh, they said, what else do you do? And that's when I said to them, you know you know, one of the things I do is I get people to um, vote for people they don't know, outcomes that don't affect them, and uh, they vote for them and they pay for it. And they were just looking at me like, how is this possible? Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, know. if we can't get people to vote on outcomes that, that impact every area of their lives where they don't get charged to vote, and you have been able to, to, code, to code up a way of getting people to vote on something that doesn't impact them where they do have to pay to vote. What's interesting in the middle there is do you do we want to turn that process into such a process of entertainment, the, the, the type of entertainment that it would take to engage us at that level? It doesn't have to be hugely entertaining. It just has to be mildly, you know, entertaining. I mean, I'll tell you a terrifying stat, which is that more young people voted in the UK for the winner of Britain's Got Talent than in the general election because it's not compulsory to vote in the UK. And that, I think, is it's not about television. It's about politics. And it's about the fact that we feel that we can't influence uh, the outcome. We feel a little bit helpless, I think. It's very unclear sometimes 
what the outcome will be in politics. It's very clear in television. We are wordsmiths. We make it very, very simple to understand. We work very hard at doing that because we don't want it to be difficult for anybody. We work very hard to make it accessible. Uh, politics can learn a lot from TV. You know, we don't speak down to people. We speak, I speak like this, whether I'm on TV or on a podcast or, in, you know, I don't suddenly turn up at, la- and at work and uh, have a completely different voice, which I find really strange. I find it so odd that people are really interesting until they'll stand on the stage or they'll record something for their teams and suddenly they tone themselves right down. And you think, no, 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 you have to tone yourself up. I'm going to dive into that. Why? Why do we... I actually interviewed a, a WWF wrestler for the podcast. And what we talked about was turning yourself up. What he did was was wear a certain outfit and obviously put on a persona and turn the volume up on himself. And he was saying, you know, I don't change. I just go through a series of rituals that turns the volume up on who I already am. Why is it that in those moments where everyone's looking, we tend to turn the volume down? Uh, I think it's because we think people expect it. I find it fascinating that people walk through the door at work and it's like they've been sprayed with a little bit of grey. People who I find really, really interesting. I think you're really interesting. And, uh, you know, you have amazing stories to tell. You're charismatic. But they sort of put a little lid on it. And I don't know. I think maybe they're afraid of being themselves. So the reason I think people are afraid of standing on the stage and speaking uh, it's because they're not sure what they're going to say. And that's their worry. They worry that they're going to look an idiot. So I make sure they're very clear about what they're going to say and how they want to say it. And I arm them with uh, a roadmap. Uh, so I will have a conversation with them and say, you know, we're going to ask you these three. So if it's a host, uh, the host has helped write the script so it's in their words they've read it through 16 times we've rehearsed them 16 times we've made sure they look amazing Uh, we've made sure they've been through hair and makeup they have me in their ear so if anything goes wrong I can talk to them if the script goes down the nautical goes down I'm ready to read it to them in the rear it's almost impossible for it to fail my job is to make sure they look amazing that is absolutely 100% that's just my job I have to make sure that if you are you know, my host, you're perfect because that reflects on me. And that's why I'm very serious about the people I work with. I'm going to go, if you're not serious about it, you don't want to work with me. I'm serious about it. You know, you're going to be amazing, but you've got to be. You know, if you really want to, I will not let you be anything other than this. Uh, so we arm them with every single thing in their armory. And because I've worked in lots of live TV, I hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Uh, so I say, you know, if this happens, you know, this will happen. It will be fine. If this happens, it will be fine. If this happens, it will be fine. If it rains, don't worry, we've got umbrellas. And guess what? They're not black ones, they're white ones. So it's not going to cast a shadow on your face. It's going to be a lovely light, a lovely glow on your face. And by the way, you know, if your mic goes down, we've got a hand mic here. Nothing can go wrong. So by the time they walk out, they're very, very, very confident and they know what they're saying. And if it's a guest on a show, uh, I arm them as well and say they're probably going to ask these three questions. Uh, So have to think about that. And by the way, nobody knows what you're going to say. So you can't possibly get it wrong. And you're booked here because you know more than us about this topic. So you're an expert. I'm going to stop you there. 
Like that, if I could synthesize down the advice to give to anybody that's about to do something in a in a public way, be it stand in front of 10 people, a thousand people, do TV, th- th- exactly what you just said then. No one knows what you're about to say, so you can't get it wrong. And you are here because you're an expert. You are here because you are an expert. You are booked because you're an expert. You know more about this than anybody else in this room. Just own that. Yes, be comfortable. So many people will say to me, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm well, I'm, I'm, I'm not really an expert. I found myself recently uh, on uh, this beautiful thing called A Cup of Life. Uh, it's on in the mornings. Lovely guy called Luke Cook. We were talking afterwards about the interview and I was saying, you know, I, if I were you, I'd make it to a podcast and I would also take little bits and I'd send them off to so-and-so and I'd do all of this. And I said, look, you know, I'm not a media expert, but that's what I do. And he said, um, no, you are a media expert. And I suddenly went, oh, my God, I am a media expert. Oh, my God, of course I'm a media expert. And uh, we all started laughing. And I thought, I cannot believe I said that. I mean, what a stupid thing to say. Eight billion views. <laughs> if I'm not a media expert, who's a media expert? And we forget. And sometimes I would say this to your listeners. Every now and then, give your CV to a friend. Just ask for feedback. I bet your friend comes back and says, I cannot believe how amazing you are. I cannot believe all the things you've done. And sometimes we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded how amazing we are because we forget. Talk to me, talk to me about the difference between hoping something will happen and, and making it happen. Because that's your job as a producer, right? It's, it's that hope is not a plan and that you're there to make something happen. Yeah. Hope is not a strategy. If you want something to happen, you have to make sure it happens. You have to be very clever. Really, reality TV or TV in general, so TV in general, is it's like a dinner party or a wedding. If you're getting married, you hope that people come along and have a really nice time, but you can't leave that to chance. So you go through the guest list and you decide who you're going to seat near each other because you think they'll really get on. And you might have a singles table. Yeah, kind of, you know, they're going to be the fun people. And you, you know, those two might quite like each other. We'll put them together. And you'll think about the wine. You'll think about the food. You'll think about the weather. think about the time of day. You know, have the photos at five o'clock, golden hour, beautiful light. You think about everything. And that's essentially what TV is. We think about every single tiny detail of what will make it the best it can possibly be for the people that run it and the people who are watching it. And I take it very seriously if someone tunes into uh, you know, a podcast that I'm doing or a TV show or a film I've made or a talk that I'm about to give because they are giving me their time. And it's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege if you, you know any eyeballs are looking at you and any ears are listening to you. And I don't take that lightly at all. So I think about every single detail that can make it the best it can possibly be for everybody. You surround yourself with really interesting people. You know, when I used to make uh, big shows, I would book really interesting people to be on them and also to work with. And the teams that I would put together, uh, I really love uh, negative people, (laughs) which is a strange thing to say. But I love someone in the room who will question every decision I make and say, I don't think that will work. Uh, And that's part of hope for the best, you know, but plan for the worst is by the time it gets to air, by the time it's live, it has to work. So we have beaten the hell out of the idea. We have kicked it around and around and around. We've tried to kill it. And if it's still alive, we'll pitch it. 
And if it's still alive, you know, and someone's bought it, we'll do another round of trying to kill it. We'll look at it from every direction. What's not going to work? What's not going to work? What's not going to work? And we recut things a thousand times. We rewrite it a thousand times. So when it goes to air, you're watching the, you know, for some, if it's the first show, you're probably watching the 60th version of the script. You know, we fine tune it and fine tune it and fine tune it. We are careful about everything we do. And I say this to people uh, all the time. Imagine for your website or your literature or your script for your uh, showreel, imagine that I'm going to give you a million bucks. Now, I'm not going to do that, just to be very clear. But imagine I'm going to give you a million bucks. And then I'm going to take back 10,000 for every word you use. For every word you use, I'm taking away $10,000. That's what a script is. It's the fewest words you can possibly use with the greatest impact. And that's a conversation. The fewest words you can use with the greatest impact. And everything you do has to be that. And that is absolutely what television is. There's no fat in it. You know, there's no fat at all. It's just meat. Taking something really complicated and making it simple is the hardest thing on earth. Describing a TV show in one sentence and getting to the essence of it, telling a story. So how did you do that? Because you've obviously had to pitch a number of TV shows over over time. How did, do you, do you have a process that you go through where you're like, right, we need to take all of this and get it down into one very sticky sentence, which again, I'll reiterate, most people listening have to do that. You have to do that at some way, shape or form, whether you're describing yourself, your company, your business, your project, whatever it is. How, how do you do it? So I'll tell you a very, I'll tell you a very quick story. I did The Celebrity Apprentice with Mark Boris. I like Mark a lot. He tells this great story about uh, Kerry Packer being his mentor. And he said he was sitting with Kerry one day and Kerry said, and this is when Mark uh, was running Yellow Brick Road or Wizard, I think Wizard Home Loans. And he said, Mark, what's your business? And Mark said, he was about to say, I sell mortgages. And Kerry said to him, before you say you sell mortgages, to be clear, you don't sell effing mortgages. Do you understand? And Mark said, he sat there thinking, I've no idea what this man means. I sell mortgages. And he said, yeah, I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to say that I sell mortgages. I wasn't going to say that. He said, I'm sitting there thinking, I've no idea. I sell mortgages. And Kerry said to him, here's the thing, Mark, you think you sell mortgages, but you don't. You sell dreams. You sell the dream of owning your home one day. And you can move those bricks around any way you want. You can put another set of bricks on top, build an extension. You can hammer into them if you want. You can do whatever you want with them. And then you can leave those bricks to your kids. Your kids have financial security. And I think most people think they sell mortgages. But they have to look at their business in a very different way and realize they're not selling mortgages, they're selling dreams. Because if you're selling mortgages, see previous, I can throw a dart at the wall. So I was walking through... Uh, Edgecliff Station, and it was uh, Leg- I think it's called Legion Day, isn't it? When uh, school kids sell those little badges, and you buy a badge, and the money goes to return service people, people who've um, been in combat, I think. And this kid uh, was selling the little badges, and I walked past with Smart Steph, who used to work for us, and uh, she said, "Do you want to buy a badge?" I said, "No, thank you." And I carried on walking, and I thought, oh, I can't help myself. So I went back and I said, you're not selling badges. And uh, she said, no, I'm selling badges. No, no, you're not. You're not selling badges. You're selling thank yous. You're selling thank yous to people who are far braver than me. 
people who've been to war for people like me, people who've trained and gone into combat so that I can walk out of my house every day free. I can drive a car as a woman. It's fine. I feel safe in this country. And it's because people who are much nicer than me, much braver, go to war for me. And that's what you're selling. You're selling thank yous once a year to someone who's been to war for me. I said, sell it that way. Ask people if they'd like to say thank you to someone who's been to war. And uh, after the terror left her eyes, she gave me a little nod. And uh, I went for a coffee with Steph or we went to a meeting or something, came back and I said, how'd you go? She said, sold them all. I said, yeah, yeah, that's the difference. And so how are your friends going? She went, oh, yeah, still got all of theirs. So we're going to tell them, you know, your job is to sell. And we tend to think as businesses, as individuals, we think we're selling badges, we think we're selling mortgages, but we're not. That's the kind of really boring thing we're doing. You think, what is your business? What's the business you're actually really in? And I did some work with um, a travel company, uh, maybe this time last year, and they said we sell high-end uh, holidays. I said, oh, I don't think you do. And we went through, you know, what they were selling. And I said, I think you're selling memories. I think you're selling memories that are old age memories. When you look back at your life, you'll remember those holidays. You never go, you know, was that the year that we, you know, was that the year that we paid an extra 10% on the mortgage, darling? <laughs> never going to say that. You say, was that the year we went to Venice? You know, we talked about going to Venice. Was that the year we went to Vegas, darling? I said, you're selling memories. And I think we need to all think of ourselves and our businesses in that way. What is the story of your business? Because you're not selling mortgages. And if you are, you're in trouble, especially now. Especially now. Especially yeah. now. I think that now, you know, we talk about the X factor and what that looks like from a, from a messaging standpoint, you know, what that looks like. Um, from a brand standpoint, what that looks like from a person, you know, from a human being walking in a room standpoint, and now more than ever, we need that. You need to have, you and your company, and not you, obviously, because you have it, but every company, every individual needs to have some X factor, and it can be taught. You know, people say you can't teach charisma. Yeah, you absolutely can. And I've spent 30 years teaching charisma. You know, people walk on stage. You know, I wish I had 10% of everyone that I've made a millionaire because <laughs> I would be extraordinarily rich. But the ones that really succeed are the people that understand they have to have that little extra something, that charisma. There are four things that I like to teach people. And they are the A, B, C, and D. A is your attire. You know, what do you look like? The first thing that hits me is what you look like. You know, we're visual people. B is your body language. How do you move? How do you stand? And I've done casting. I think I've met and interviewed about 12,000 people. So I'm very fine-tuned with this. So A is your attire. B is your body language. C is your content and your conversation. What do you say? What do you say that's engaging and interesting? And D is your delivery. You know, are you smiling at me? Just quickly on the body language one. I mean, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I noticed, it's such a simple thing, but made a big difference to my body language was just have to remind myself, just lift your chin two inches. Just in those moments where you feel yourself getting small for whatever reason, you're about to say something, you're about to get on a stage, you're about to make a, a scary phone call, just lift your chin two inches. And there's a reason, <laughs> you know, thinking about it now, there's a reason where, you know, my mum used to say to me, chin up, chin up. Yes. Something happens. You just move that chin up two inches and something happens. I don't know what it is, but some kind of certainty kicks in. 
It moves your body so your back is straight and your windpipe is in a straight line. And so this is my voice when I'm slouching and this is my voice when I'm not. And there is a slight difference in it. When I get people to do voiceovers, when I uh, do voiceovers for shows, uh, I would say to them, stand up and also stick the voiceover, the script to the wall so it's on eye level so you're not looking down. Because when you're looking down, obviously your voice you know, is contracted. Uh, the other thing I think uh, that I say to people, and they always think of it a little bit bonkers when I say it, is do this every day. When you're in the shower, play some music and dance. Just move your body. Move your body and have a little bit of a laugh at yourself every day. Especially if you're very senior, if you're a CEO or, you know, you're running a big team. Uh, or brush your teeth in the nude and just dance a little bit. And I promise you, do it tomorrow and you will just have a sense of humor about yourself. And it will give you a little bit of a giggle. Yeah, you know, loosen up. Shake your shoulders. Uh, I say to people, before you go on, on stage, you jump up and down. Just reset the body. Shake it. Give me a really big smile. Because it's very difficult for your brain to become very anxious if you're smiling. Because it's going, I think you're smiling. Are you smiling? Because I was just about to be anxious. I know you're smiling. Oh, okay, I get it. Right, we're happy. Come on, everyone, we're happy. And, you know, slow your breath down. Deep breaths. Just imagine that it's all going to be okay. And if you mess up, it's fine. The only person that really is bothered by a mess up is you. And there's a beautiful Mark Twain uh, saying that I repeat constantly, which is the people that mind don't matter and the people that matter don't mind. And the people that love you will love you whether you goof up or not. And if you're not goofing up, you're not trying hard enough, genuinely. Try a bit harder. You should be failing. It's part of life. It's part of our jobs. We should be failing. And, you know, really, the people that love you will love you whatever you do. And if people don't love you because, you know, you goofed up in some way, Replace them. Get a dog. You know what? There's many things that I've been responsible for in my career, and but multitudes of people dancing and singing while naked and brushing their teeth is never, never one that I thought of. And um, I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. And please don't post pictures of yourselves. Thank you. <laughs> Before I let you go, I want to tap into something that I think is is pretty unspoken. And that's the anxiety of pressure that comes along with profile and that comes along with responsibility and it comes along with, with opening your mouth on whatever scale or standing up on whatever scale you choose to do so. And, you know, we spoke at the beginning of this interview about the fact that, you know, the work that you did, the topics that you chose, the angle that you chose to push impacted the conversations in millions of households every single day. Now, there's got to be moments in there where when it goes well and when it goes badly that you feel like just crawling up under a, a table and either crying or hiding from the world. What did you do to keep your head above water? You said to me before, you know, they were, if I messed up, if I mess up, it's on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow. You know, there are times that I have absolutely, you know, woken up in the middle of the night, not slept for weeks thinking about things and thinking, oh, goodness me. But they're done. I'm quite good at not really caring about the opinions of people I don't know. I care about the people I care about. In terms of moral code, have there been any moments, and you can either go into them or not, have there been any moments where you've thought during your producing time, 
we shouldn't push this any further, either an individual or a moment in time where you thought I could push it further and it would probably make more compelling television. But right now I, I need to make the decision to not push this. Oh, yeah. I mean, every moment of every day. The people who are on TV shows are, you know, they're, they're people who are just, you know, on a TV show. And if you wouldn't do it off a TV show, you shouldn't do it on a TV show. Uh, so I give people a talk of doom, which uh, <laughs> my friends kind of go, oh, it's the famous talk of doom, yawn. Uh, and I have said this a million times in my career. I know it very well. I say, this is what's going to happen to you. Um, I would wish fame on anybody. And what will happen to you is you'll be too famous to go back to your job, but you won't be famous enough to be famous. So you'll be in this kind of Neverland of not working for probably about two years. Everyone you've ever dated will sell their story. If you're a girl, no one will date you for two years. If you're a guy, everyone will want to punch you in the pub. You'll walk into a bar or a restaurant and you will think that you are the person everyone goes, oh, look, there's that great person off the telly. They won't be. They'll be going, look, there's that idiot off the telly. And you don't think it will be you. I promise you it will. You will think that we've portrayed you in a certain way. But guess what? If you haven't done it, we can't show it. If you don't kiss someone, I can't show you kissing. If you're not in a fight with someone, I can't show you arguing. If you're a girl and you kiss somebody, your mum will get a brick through the window. I would suggest very heavily that you do not do this. Really think about it. Go home, speak to one person, only one, and then come back and tell us you really want to do it. How many times did somebody come back and say they didn't want to do it after that speech, the speech of doom? I think only one who had actually been accepted and was down to the final 12. Uh, and funnily enough, this person had applied the year before as well and really wanted it. And then they came back. And I don't know whether they thought about it for a year, uh, but they came back the next year and they were, they were on the show. And they came back and they said, I've thought about it and uh, I'm not going to do it. As my, as my last question to you, I, if, if you had to give somebody one piece of advice, if they wanted to turn up their X Factor tomorrow, they wanted to show up either on a Zoom call, given the times that we're in, or, or a presentation or whatever they're doing tomorrow, by turning themselves up, by amplifying their own X Factor, what's the one thing that they could do differently easily tomorrow morning? I would say do the ABCD. It's so simple. It's so simple. What are you going to wear tomorrow that makes you look the best you can possibly look? Think, what do my clothes say about me? What does your body language say about you? How do you shake hands? How do you smile? Do you make eye contact? You know, are you upright? Do you look confident? What are you going to say that isn't dull? And how are you going to deliver it? It sounds really simple. Uh, and it kind of is, but it, we have to pay attention to our own personal brand because you are your own personal brand and you're also representing the company that you work for. And that is really, really important. If you don't make the best of yourself, are you really going to do a good job for my brand? And the answer, I think, is probably no. So yeah, look at yourself as a brand. Would you buy you? Mm, would you buy you? That's a beautiful question. A beautiful question to end end our time on. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, for your just joy of life. You are incredible. Uh, do you know, I'm so honoured uh, to be on this because I've listened and the people that you've had on are fascinating. The thing you do so beautifully is you ask really interesting questions and you give the people that you're speaking to 
uh, breath and time and yeah, it's it's really lovely your podcasts are brilliant i'm honored well right back at you Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, juliemasters.com pop in your email address it is free we will not spam you but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work it's called the influencer code it's not long but it is full of value so download it keep it share it juice it for all it is worth I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.